This episode of Open Micers Podcast is brought to you by that dirty motherfucker, DJ DeBlow. He knows exactly what he did. He would have started his own podcast, but he's too chicken shit. This podcast is also brought to you by Mr. Mike Evelyn. If you like open micers but think Jay is too good looking, go check out the Jester Sport podcast hosted by Jay's fat twin, Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. If you have some time to waste and want to encourage fat people to sit around and watch shitty horror movies, check out Innsmouth Rag, hosted by Mike and Jen, because nothing spells midlife white people like frivolous podcasts. And this podcast is also brought to you by J.N. Reynolds, who said for us to roast him. So I will say that J.N. looks like the kind of person who buys rotisserie hot dogs from the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Gross. It's another episode of the Open Micros Podcast, which is brought to you by our lovely patrons, over at www.openmarkers.com, including Mr. Derek Diamond and Miss Kathy Gutierrez Figueroa. If you want to be as cool as them, go join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, and let's start the episode. And why is it not playing? There we go. Your fault. I didn't mess up. <laughs> I got it, I got it. that sound that music means it is wednesday night and it's time for the open micros podcast my name is jason robbins i'm the good looking co-host jacob craig and our guest tonight i'm very excited for because he is an entrepreneur podcast host of your host and mc he is an author he's done a little bit of everything he is the illustrious mr r scott edwards how are you doing today sir yes ladies and gentlemen so excited to be here with these young men Hey, it's great. It's Scott Edwards live on stage. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be too excited. I love a good standing ovation. Uh, of course, I'm not really on stage. It's just the famous podcast, the Open Micers podcast. Man, this is just so exciting. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. This is how you know that you made it in life coming on Open Micros Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, I felt like such a loser until today. <laughs> but uh, for our fans that don't know about you, why, why don't you give them a little bit of your background about the Last Unlimited Comedy Clubs, your work as a uh, comedy producer and podcast host and whatnot? What, what should our fans know about you? Well, I'll try to give you the quick elevator speech. First off, as a serial entrepreneur, I've had everything from a small construction company when I was 17 to a chain of comedy clubs. I even owned a submarine and a beach shack in the big island of Hawaii. So I've really had an opportunity to have a lot of different jobs, a lot of different companies. And the number one thing I learned, Jacob, is it's best when I work for myself because everybody else fires my ass. When I have a question to, comedy, to start oh, off. Yeah. How does sorry, one go about the comedy? How does one go about procuring a submarine? As, oh, as what well, I, is, do you go through like a real estate agent or? <laughs> no, um, I was a co-owner of a company called Snuba, which is a uh, international underwater snorkeling company. It's very popular all around the world. I'm one of the owners, uh, original stockholders, and the guys that developed Snuba. Uh, decided to build a semi-submersible tourist submarine, and I helped them launch it in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and it was very successful. And I said, you know what? I want one of those. So it was called the Nautilus. I ended up with the Nautilus 3. I put it in Monterey, California. And the bad news is that in Monterey, the water's very cold, and there's a problem called algae bloom, 
So I had to actually pay a scuba diver to stay underwater with the sub on every tour, just keeping the windows clean so the people could see the sea lions <laughs> and the sea otters and the kelp forest. So needless to say, Jason, it was a lot of fun to own a submarine, but it was one of my huge financial disasters. I lost my ass and I ended up selling the submarine to the Wrigley gum family. And it is now still operating at a Catalina Island. What? That is so cool. I need to get me a submarine guy. That's what I I'm missing you, in life. It's, it's, it's not quite like having a beach shack to pick up chicks, you know, standing on the bow of the submarine. Uh, there was, there was more, uh, a shock value. I did own a beach shack on the big Island of Hawaii. And that I got to tell you as a young single male was amazing because all day long, I had pretty girls in bikinis coming up to get sunscreen and rent towels and boogie boards. And, and I had to help them. Well, that was what I was going to say. Like you, you, that's gotta be the ultimate pickup line because it works on so many levels. Like, Hey baby, you want to come back and see my submarine? Like it literally, like you take her back because she thinks one thing, but you get there and it's an actual submarine. Right, right, right. You want to go down with me? Hey, here we go. Oh. But so before Jason so rudely interrupted you. I'm sorry. I just, that, you said submarine and I just, my brain went off. So you give us a little bit of your comedy background as well. So uh, I'm an older gentleman. I'm sure you can't tell, but uh, I, uh, in August of 1980, I opened up the 12th com full-time comedy club in the United States. Uh, my opening act, paying him $150 for the week, was a young man that came out from Phoenix, Arizona. You may have heard of him, Gary Shandling. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the headliner was George Wallace. But I really got a lot of help from people like Bob Saget, Dave Poulier, and uh, uh, went on and on and started a comedy club that did very well. In fact, it paid for the submarine and the beach shack. And, mm -hmm. you know, the 80s were pretty uh, cruising financially. I ended up growing it to three comedy clubs and had a chance to work uh, with everybody from Arge Barker and Brian Pusain to Tommy Chong and Soupy Sales. Wow. I mean, you've Hell just yeah. named off like eight comedy legends just like right off the bat. I mean, you're going with George Wallace and, and like, like, God, like you've worked with all these people and it's just, it's a, like, I don't even know what to ask. I'm just, just tell me <laughs> well, stuff. Well, sadly, Jason, they all still owe me money. But anyway, <laughs> no, no, no. I was, uh, I opened what's called an A room. So you had to have been in the business, had have had to have had some experience to even get on my stage. And a lot of the people that worked my stages went on, uh, what I would say is got the golden ticket, went on to fame and fortune, but many others who were really, really funny. Uh, Steve Bruner, Tim Bedore, Jay, Jeff Jenna, uh, Bobby Slayton, uh, Tom McTeague, I can go on and on, went on and had great careers in stand-up comedy. But a few of them, like Ray Romano, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, you may have heard of Robin Williams, uh, all had a chance to work my stage and had a little bit of celebrity. That's crazy. It's amazing. So needless to say, you know a thing or three about some stand-up <laughs> comedy. But I, well, I, I, I want to get into this before we get too far into the conversation, because this is the first podcast that that at least me and Jason have had since the Oscars. 
we have to talk about the slap, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm not an Oscar watcher anymore. And in fact, they were having the lowest ratings they'd had in history until mm -hmm. the slap happened and it made social media and then everybody tuned in like he was going to slap him again. It yeah. was kind of weird. But <laughs> yeah. uh, And he may have deserved it. Who knows? But uh, I think it was... Um, a mistake on both parties. I think Chris Rock was kind of pushing it with um, personal comedy, although there's video of Will Smith laughing at the joke initially. And then I think his wife said, hey, uh, that was out of line. And then he had he was obligated, I think, to defend her. However, I think that he if he wanted to make a statement, he should have just taken his wife and left the Oscars and then right. not been there when they announced him as a winner later on. That would have had a bigger, more positive impact. Yeah. Instead, you've got this uh, woke Hollywood society saying, you know, we don't believe in bullies and everybody has rights. And, you know, we want to be careful of everybody's sentimentalities. Oh, unless Will Smith is going up and slapping the shit out of Chris Rock, you know, because right. after he did that, which was totally shocking and unnecessary, Will Smith still got a standing ovation when he won his award. And that, that is so hypocritical of the Hollywood uh, actors and, and everybody. I, I was very disappointed in the response of the people. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you put that perfectly. I mean, Will Smith could have very easily, because he got on stage and Chris Rock led him on stage. He could have well, very he easily. No he was like, what the hell's going on, Chris? And right. I, I got to give kudos to Chris Rock because even though the joke was in bad taste and he took a, a pretty good slap for it, he, you know, in show business, the show still goes on. Right. So he was able to compose himself and kind of try to laugh it off and keep moving forward where, you know, inside he had to be like freaking out. Like, what do I do? What do yeah, I say? Right. You know, cause he could have easily just, you know, hit Will Smith back. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Chris uh, has his own strengths. And it was just such a kind of, uh, well, it was a Hollywood moment. You wouldn't expect to see that shit anywhere else. Yeah. Right. Well, my whole argument is if it would have been The Rock instead of Chris Rock, <laughs> it wouldn't have happened because he, you know, right. he, he outweighs Chris Rock by like 50 pounds at least. And he's like a foot taller. So yeah, no, it was, it was uncalled for. And I, I just think everybody agrees that uh, Will Smith could have managed that better. Even in defending his wife, there was other options. Um, uh, you know, I mean, in this case, both Will Smith and Chris Rock could have turned the other cheek. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and my, my point has been, you know, Will Smith got on stage. No one stopped him. First of all, he should have been stopped. Yeah. Where's but security. Yeah. But since he did get on stage, he could have easily taken the microphone and said, Chris Rock, apologize to my wife right now. Oh, yeah, that would have been a third option. There's lots of options before hitting somebody. I mean, in a, a day and age when we're trying to uh, teach our children to be more benevolent and in understanding of others and not to use physical actions, of course, Putin's a, a bad example of that. But uh for Will Smith to do that when there were so many other options. But I agree with you, Jacob, where the hell was security? I mean, I know he's a big star, but if he's coming to the stage in the, in that moment with that kind of angst on his, you could see it on his face. Uh, they should have uh, made some effort to stop him or 
make kick his ass out of when it was done. You know, let's say after he slapped him, why didn't security take him out instead of letting him hang around to win his uh, golden trophy? I mean, there was a lot of things uh, managed incorrectly, and that's just my two cents. Don't send me cards and letters. Well, I, I think the Academy should have some sort of backup plan in case something like that ever happens. So if, if, that, if something like that ever happens again, then immediately they get escorted out, and if they were going to win an award that night, then the next person gets that award automatically. Yeah, no, definitely. And there is, uh, you guys, I think, are in show business enough to know this. There is a five-second delay on live Mm. stuff, but this um, just, uh, one, took longer than that and was just so shockingly unexpected. Uh, In fact, to Jacob's note, when he was walking up, maybe one of the reasons security didn't come out is they thought he'd take the mic. They yeah. didn't know there was going to be a physical I mean, abuse it, situation. And he is Will Smith, of all people. I mean, he's like everybody's old. He's like America's older brother. You know, like, <laughs> you know, he's like getting the getting jiggy with it guy. He, he, I never yeah. in a million years thought that Will Smith would get on stage and hit somebody. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Jason, because there's so many other actors that would might act unruly like that. You you didn't expect it out of Will Smith, who I think we all uh, think is generally is a good guy and a good actor and done a fair amount of comedy, by the way. Yeah, right. But uh, he didn't uh, have a sense of humor that night. But uh, so, Jacob, did we did we drill down a little bit? Do you feel better? Yeah, I feel better. It's <laughs> off my chest now. We. We, we had to get good slap content because everyone's getting content on the slap. Yeah, yeah. And tell you what, just, just so that we have it uh, officially out there, Will Smith. Yeah, boo. <laughs> Look, this just in, Will Smith, you're not invited to come on Open Micro's podcast. Sorry, buddy. It's just. I mean, he's not allowed to hit it. either one of us. I mean, I like, I like my cheeks. They don't need any fresh prints on them. Ah, fresh um, I got wah, it. Wait, wait, wait. I have it. I have it. Hold on. It's right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I need a new co-host for next week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, so, um, uh, you know, you guys call it the Open Micers uh, podcast. I've listened to a few of your shows and you've interviewed a few comics, but you haven't discussed a lot about being an open micer. Are either one of you getting on stage and trying stand-up comedy? Oh, yeah. We've oh, both yeah. been uh, professional open micers for a few years now. <laughs> good, good, good. No, it's important to do that. I, I recommend to everybody and anybody listening, you want to get on stage once or twice. Whether you bomb or do well, The just the aspect of getting on stage is so uh, cathartic and so healthy and it's you learn something about yourself it's a smart thing to do so i'm happy to hear that you guys have done that and let me throw this out for your listening audience jason jacob if you don't mind if you guys anybody in your audience if you email me at scott's comedy stuff at gmail.com i'd be happy to send you a free ver- uh electronic copy of my book 20 questions answered about being a stand-up wow. comic Awesome. It has a, a chapter on stage fright. It tells you what you do need to do to go from amateur to professional. And there's some great pictures of me with uh, Yakov Smirnoff, Dana Carvey, Jay Leno, and more. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And uh, that kind of leads us to the, the next question we were going to ask. You do have what, there's more. You do have an, an online course for yes. 
up and coming comedians. And can you kind of go through, you know, what what uh, the course entails? Sure, sure. Thanks for asking, Jason. So back in the 80s, when uh, there was a really the big wave of stand up comedy, I think a lot of people, if they thought about it, would realize and you guys being in the business probably know this, but stand up comedy has been around a long time. But in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was regulated to being the break between strippers or jazz bands, right? <laughs> yeah, right. it wasn't an accepted uh, art form, except maybe in the cat skills. It was very limited. In fact, when I opened my club, that's why there was only 12 full-time clubs in the whole country. It wasn't really an accepted art form. And of course, all that changed in the 80s. And by 1986, it was like Starbucks. There was a comedy club in every corner. It was on TV. Uh, and they kind of oversaturated it, which hurt us in the 90s. But the reason I bring that up is that there was a lot of people that thought, oh, if I get on stage and I'm funny for five minutes, I'm going to be the next Jay Leno, right? Or Craig yeah. Ferguson. And we knew as producers, and again, I'm not a comic, I'm a producer. I wrote a book called uh, Be a Stand-Up Comic or Just Look Like One. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a guide to stand-up comedy from beginning to end. And I want to be honest with you and your audience, if you take the online course, it's based on that book. And the first half of the book, talks about kind of the nightmares and the challenges that anybody would meet in trying to become a stand-up comic. Cause there's a lot, there's not a lot of money. You're living in shitty places. You, you get good stages, bad stages, good crowds, bad crowds. And the book addresses all that. If you continue reading to the back half of the book, we, as the authors assume that you're serious about this art form and it starts to teach you what it takes to really go from amateur to professional on my, the book I'm offering your audience, 20 questions answered about being a stand-up comic is more a direct, Hey, if you're getting on stage, this is what you need to know. The online course is based on a book that's really wants to break down stand-up comedy to a, it's a much bigger book, much longer book, much more detailed and uh, professional comics make comments throughout the book. Um, there's um, comments by professional comics on the online course. Uh, so the, the online course is, is a true tutorial from beginning to end. So basically it's kind of like a master class. I don't, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, tout myself as being that good. I mean, there are some other, you know, Steve Martin, I think is doing an mm -hmm. online course and, um, uh, oh, I'm having a brain fart, but there's a real, oh, Ross Bennett, Ross Bennett at the uh, comedy school of New York has a, a writing course and a stand-up course that you can do online. Ross Bennett used to work for me. Very, very funny guy. You can find that online. So there, there's a few, uh, books and there's a few websites that might help you be funny. And I want to make it clear to you guys in the audience that I'm not a comic. I'm not going to teach you how to be funny. But if you think you're funny or you want a career in stand-up comedy, I can teach you what it takes and where it will take you. And whether that's, you know, being a perennial stand-up comic and making a living on stage, uh, a good one of my regulars, uh, Ed Solomon, was not a real good performer, but a terrific writer. Well, he now, uh, he wrote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, yeah. He does oh, all wow. the Men in Black movies. Very successful script writer. And it all started with stand-up comedy. 
Um, any of you guys watched The Amazing Mrs. Maisel? I haven't seen it yet, but I, it's a I great, on it. great cable show about somebody wanting to get into stand up comedy. But one of the actors in there started off on my club as an impressionist, Kevin Pollack. Mm-hmm. And he's oh, yeah. got a ton of great movies. He's a great actor. So, as I mentioned earlier, stand up comedy is a great vehicle, but can lead to, you know, writing, performing, acting, um, all kinds of different things. Uh, a lot of guys do uh, warm up for uh, sitcoms that you might get a sitcom like Ray Romano, mm-hmm. or uh, you might get a talk show like Ellen. Yeah. In your opinion, what is the, the number one mistake that most young comics make? Uh, they think it's easy. You, you really have to kind of work at it. You know, when you think of something funny, record it, write it down, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If you do a set, make sure you record it and play it back and learn from each and every performance. Um, it is, uh, I think the biggest mistake is people think, oh, I just have to go on stage and make my friends laugh. Yeah. Well, when you got a room full of strangers that paid hard money, they have a higher expectation, right? And, oh, yeah. the, and the biggest challenge, if you guys have been getting on stage, you know what I'm talking about. Friday night late show, right? That's when the drunk people are out <laughs> and you're trying to do jokes and you got the, the screaming uh, drunk bachelorettes, you know, yelling, take it off. Right. <laughs> so that's best case scenario for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, no, looking I, at you, Jacob, I'm sure they're all thinking, take it off. Uh, <laughs> But no, around here, where where we're from, we're from South Mississippi. Uh, oh, oh South I didn't Alabama, know that. I'll New talk Orleans. slower. <laughs> Thank you. I really hope. No, my my hearing's good. It's the reading that's the problem. But um, no, no around here, there's that, clubs everywhere, right? Well, there there's actually the nearest club to us is about two hours away. Oh, so, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I know that COVID really hurt our industry. Right. Uh, it not only hurt Hollywood, Hollywood in a whole, but stand-up comedy in uh, specifically took a big hit during COVID. A lot of the clubs didn't make it. Uh, the ones that did uh, had to do a lot of limited shows. I know a lot of professional comics that were trying to do their perform online. And yeah. it just didn't, you know, really work that well because you can't hear the audience. How do you develop yeah. timing and engage with an audience and, and build a personal relationship if you're, you know, across a video screen from them? It's very right. difficult. Well, we do have a lot of bars around here that do open yeah. mic at, at, that are designated comedy open mic nights. And, and what I will say about our area is that the rooms around here, they're all bar shows and they're all so rough that if you hone your craft and you can make the people in these rooms laugh, I wholeheartedly believe that you could make anyone else anywhere laugh because <laughs> these rooms are so stacked against you with <laughs> drunk people, like people who are not here for the show, people who want to heckle you, that if you can do well at a rough South Mississippi bar, I think you can do well pretty much anywhere else. You know, that's a truism, Jacob, and it has been said many a times that those kind of audiences are the hardest, but just like the best things come from a crucible where things are forced. Mm. And when you can perform, get the attention of the audience, be able to engage with them and get them to laugh in that kind of scenario. Uh, and you could do it time after time. You're learning basically the hard way. But mm. what happens is when you get into a real comedy club, 
it's going to be so easy and you're going to have so much fun. Right. Love it. Uh, but so congratulations for uh, banging out those gigs and don't stop because it, it will help you develop down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the comedy clubs that I have done have been so much easier than just the <laughs> average Mississippi open mic. But what I did want to talk to you about a little bit, because uh, a struggle that I personally have been having in my comedy career, which is why I definitely want to get a free copy of your book, is I have been getting screwed over on the business portion of stand-up comedy. Well, where... Oh, I think it's great you bring that up. In fact, Jason asked, what is the, the number one thing that uh, people getting into comedy don't realize? And I still think that it's hard work. But I would have to say a strong number two is that you have to have some business acumen, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to negotiate a deal, make sure you get paid. And, um, you know, a lot of them are verbal contracts, to be honest, but you have to be strong enough and uh, aware enough business-wise to treat stand-up comedy is what it is, which is a business. And All guess right. what? You're the product. So when you're selling your product to that club owner or that nightclub owner or that producer, you're going to sell yourself, negotiate, and then make sure that they follow through. And if you leave any vagueness, they'll screw you every time. I, I hate to say that, but that's what happens. Right. Yeah. The, uh, a situation that I had a while back, I actually opened for a nationally touring headliner. He sold out the room. I was tacked on as his opener. I did a good 10 minutes. I absolutely murdered the room to the point where the, the, the headliner was like, hey, that was some good comedy. And then I, I only got paid, you know, not even as much as I put in, in gas to get to the venue. So I'm like, so well, let me let me interrupt. Did you negotiate a set price before you hit the stage? I did not. And I tried to, but of course, what all the producers hit you with is, oh, well, I'm going to pay you out of the bar tab. We have to see how many drinks are going to be sold. We yeah, have to see how many yeah. tickets are going to be sold. So you, I mean, by the way, congratulations on having a great set and having a Thank headliner you. compliment you that way means he may bring you along to some other gigs. Cause I hope so. Probably headliners not. are always looking for good people to open up for them. Right, but right. you learned a difficult and an expensive lesson, but you learn the lesson. So right. next time you go into that club or bar and they try to do a door deal or a bar deal, say, well, I'll agree to that, but I want a guaranteed $100 because I had expenses getting here or a guaranteed right. $50 because I had expenses getting here, whatever you negotiate. And then if it's above that, great. And if they, him and Ha say, well, you know what? I'm a professional. And if you right. can't agree to my terms, you know, thanks, maybe next time and have the balls to walk out, you know, too many um, comics, especially open micers are kind of the, um, how do I put it politely, sluts of the industry. <laughs> In other words, it is important to get on stage and a lot of times you won't get paid, but, but still value yourself and um, have some business talents and make sure that the situation is going to work to your benefit because uh, you're also hurting the club owner, the producer, because if he gets away with it with you, guess what? He's going to pull that shit on everybody behind yeah. you. Well, one right. thing I was, uh, I really wanted to ask you as, uh, as far as a club owner, promoter, uh, say, take 
comedians at the level of me and Jake up here where we're ready to take that next step where we're wanting to travel out, open for for bigger names, things like that. We have, you know, a good five minute uh reel or whatever, a five minute set that we that's a really good tape. Um, what's the best way, like, what do you want to hear as a promoter? Like if I'm going to cold email somebody like a promoter, what's the best way to sell myself as far as, Hey, let me come open for a, a national, you know, a headliner, or can I come over and headline like a smaller night or something like that? So a uh, great question, uh, Jason, you just have to remember what I said earlier, and it's hard for a lot of people to think this way, but it's a business and you're the product. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about is the marketing of that product. And so what you want to do is have a professional headshot. Everybody should have a business card. And when you approach that person, whether it's an email, snail mail, or you go and see him personally, you act as a pro and you say, Hey, I've got, you know, I can do 10 or 15 minutes, but I have a solid five minutes I'd like you to see because I think I'd be of value to your venue. And you may have to work for free for the first time as a showcase, or as you said, present it virtually through a YouTube video or mail him an MP4 video of yourself or an audio of you doing five minutes so that they can see that. And if you're consistent and persistent, in other words, don't just ask once. Keep going at it. You know, if there's a big club two hours away, Jacob, you should be contacting them every month so that they're so annoyed they book, book you just to get rid of you. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. I'm writing a lot of things down. I, I, I wrote down, get more balls, and, I, and I'm writing down, get more balls and annoy people. That's what I've got so far. I think well, I'm going to make it in the business. Hey, Jacob. Yeah. We got to tell the listeners about Berez Coffee Company. Oh, their coffee for gamers by game. That's them. 100% free trade Colombian coffee brewed right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. You know, that sounds perfect for all night gaming sessions, no matter what kind of gamer you are. Video games, tabletop, card games. Berez has what you need to keep sharp. They got all kinds of flavors to choose from, like good for gaming light roast or my favorite, the Necro Medium. You know, I like a good dark roast, like critical gaming dark. You can even add flavors to your coffee, like iCast Fireball, which is a fireball whiskey flavor. Yeah, and if you can't decide what you want, then just try out their specialty sample pack. Look, whatever your coffee of choice is, they've got you covered. Head on over to berezcoffeeco.com and use the code OMPODCAST at checkout for 10% off of your order. So I'm going to give you a quick analogy. I've been a lifelong salesman. So whether it was my construction company when I was 17 or the insurance agency I just sold and retired from, there was always a sense of salesmanship. Even in the comedy club business, you have a product, you have to sell that product to somebody else. And you, you don't have a half hour to do it. You have to do what I call an elevator speech. Everybody in sales knows that term where you in just a few minutes, and what Jason was alluding to, you might do this in an email, but you want to present yourself. Hey, I've worked with so-and-so. I've had this experience. Here's a short copy of my set. And I think I'd be an asset to your facility. And I only need, you know, $5,000 to appear in your club. So, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, you want, to, you want to be reasonable in what your expectations. And by the way, let's speak to that. It is a money's game, uh, money game. 
if you're doing open mics and bars, you should just at least get gas money, you know, 25, 50 bucks, hundred bucks, whatever, depending on what you think the crowd and the club will handle. But you can start getting to real comedy clubs. You know, there should be real money. It should be a few hundred dollars for that opening set. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that if you're still only doing five or 10 minutes, you need to push yourself because you're not considered a professional unless you have a half hour material and 20 minutes of it is rock solid. Does that make sense, Jason? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, Jason, so, he's talking yeah. to you. <laughs> well, I, I saw him snoring off because I'm talking no, to him. No, I'm good. But, I was actually <laughs> thinking a lot about, because I'm also a drummer, a lifelong drummer, and it's easy for me to sell myself as a drummer because I'm very confident in my abilities. But when it comes to something like comedy, like I still have that thought in my head, of like, am I ready to make that next step? Am I funny enough? Yeah. Do I have enough material? Do I... You know, is all my material good enough? It's kind of like that. I have to take that first huge step and it's hard. We're all our own worst enemy. And uh, if there was a third thing that open micers are missing, it's confidence. And you get confidence by performing regularly and getting down your timing, getting down material that people can relate to. And I I haven't seen you guys perform and I don't want to step on any toes, but I'm not talking about getting up on stage and going, you know, my freaking wife wanted some freaking bed. So I went to the freaking store and (laughs) you know, that freaking bitch, that's not comedy. I mean, it may get some shock laughs. It may be get some shock humor, but if you really want to go somewhere in the business, write about your own life in your own way, because everybody in the audience can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you hear so much material about driving or going on an airplane or dealing with the IRS or being a homeowner or being a parent or being in a relationship. Why? Because everybody's done that. And what makes it special and what makes it funny is you're putting your twist on it, right? So there's a hundred jokes about going shopping at the store. You know, women shop, men buy beer and toilet paper, right? Uh, So you just have to find your humor. What makes it unique is you. You know, Jason and Jacob are both open micers, but you see things a little bit differently. So if Jason told a joke about driving to uh, Memphis or something, and then Jacob did a story about driving to Memphis, they're going to be different right? It's the same trip. Everybody in the audience will be able to relate to it, but you're going to come at it from a different approach. And that's kind of the secret to all stand-up comedy writing is making it so that everybody can relate to it and then putting your humorous uh, twist on it. That's, that's really, and again, I'm, I'm lecturing a little bit, but that's because I think your audience is interested in the industry and I want them to do it right. And you'll hear the same thing um, or on you know, my online comedy course, and you'll see the same thing in both of my books. Uh, I'm consistent and I'm persistent because what I'm talking about works. And how do I know it works? Well, somebody like uh, Brian Poussein, who started off as an opening act at my club and is now a you know a, a known actor on The Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. uh, or you have Carlos Alice Rocky, who started off as an opening act MC at my club and is now uh, a voice character on Ren and Stimpy and uh, uh, Casa Grande and a lot of animated shows. And he's one of the stars of Reno 911. Uh, you also have um, people like I mentioned, Gary Shang, uh, Shandling, that start off as an opening act 
We all know Gary Shandling had the Gary Shandling show mm -hmm. and also the Larry Sanders show was a huge success. Um, but Jay Leno, you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, these guys worked for me. They weren't opening acts, open micers, but they were still learning their craft on my stage. And then were able to take what they learned and take it on TV and, and be huge successes. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll quit talking. No, oh, no, you're, this is exactly Please. what our, our audience does want to hear <laughs> is, is, is you to talk. Cause they're so tired of us talking. They don't want to. <laughs> well, I was going to say anymore. something, Jacob, but I was trying to be polite, <laughs> but um, no, just, just so to let you know, kind of where me and Jason are as comedians. First of all, I'm better, but um, <laughs> we, we actually both have headlining sets coming up. Uh, I'm doing 30. I don't know if you're doing 20 or 30. Uh, Jason. I'm but... doing 20. Okay. Yeah. So Jason's doing 20 and I'm doing 30 at the same venue. We're, we're both going to be. That's awesome. So, Have fun. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not exactly amateur open micers, but we're not exactly, you know, well, we don't have heavy credits. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what you want to do and sounds like you're more like feature acts in my club, you'd be a feature act. And to right. be a headliner, you want about 90 minutes of material that is going to be an hour of really strong material. So a feature mm -hmm. act is going to have 45 minutes to an hour of material, but he really can rock it for 30 minutes, right. right? An opening act should have 30 minutes of material, but can really rock it for 10, 15, or 20 minutes. Everybody right. thinks they have more material than they have. And, right. here's, and here's a little tip that you guys already know, I'm sure. You wanna close with your funniest bit and open with your second open, second funniest bit. And Always. then if you're trying new shit, put it right in the middle like a donut hole. Right? Yeah, right. Because in the beginning, it's so important to earn the trust of the audience and, and prove that you're funny. And then later in the show, you want to bring them to a crescendo so that when they when you're done, they're like, yeah, yeah. And they want more. You always want to leave them more. I'll mm -hmm. give you a great story. Uh, so Gary Shandling was now a regular headliner at my club. And he was, you know, he wasn't doing talk shows and stuff yet, but he was a really good headliner and actor. And he uh, did about a 20 minute, 30 minute warm up, kind of proved who he was to the audience. And then he stopped and he goes, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be on the tonight show next week. And it was going to be his first tonight show appearance, which made him a superstar. And he goes, I need to try out some new material. Do you guys mind? Well, the audience loved that because it felt like they were getting a peek behind mm -hmm. the curtain. And mm -hmm. I'm not kidding. Gary Shandling pulled out three by five cards that he had some ideas on <laughs> and he stood there and read off the ideas. And if it got a laugh, he'd keep it or make a note. And if it didn't, he'd kind of throw it away. And the audience loved being a part of that. <laughs> but I tell the story to prove a point that if you've gained the approval and the connection with the audience, they'll let you get away with anything in the middle. As long as you as a professional can bring it back and really kill them at the end with, with your material. Does, does that kind of make sense? Makes oh, perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, try try different things. You know, I a lot of people uh boohoo uh prop comics, you know, magicians, jugglers, prop comics per se, carrot top like people, uh, Gallagher type people. But it's an easy way to add 30 seconds or a minute of material to your set. So if you're an already got 30 minutes of stand-up and you want to add five, 10 minutes, how easy is it to grab a couple props? 
from home or on stage, think of something funny about it as a throwaway. They're throwaway jokes, Mm -hmm. but you're adding material to your set without having to really sit and write and hone something. Does that that make sense? Right. I I don't want to cheapen it. I'm just saying that there are ways that a producer approves of, I'm a producer, that you can build upon your time. And we all know that in comedy, it's all about stage time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What um, do you think about like a, a headlining touring comic coming to, let's say, Nashville and doing like five minutes of local jokes up front that are like throwaways? Well, they're doing that on purpose to get the audience on their side. So let's say you've got uh, uh, Dana Carvey um, flying in from L.A. to perform in Memphis while he's flying he's thinking of uh jokes about the south about memphis about tennessee and not per se to pick on the people but he wants to be able to relate to them stand-up comedy is all about relating to the audience and that's why i talked about how important the material is relatable you know if if you've uh you're writing jokes about um i don't know what i could think of but you know doing some strange job that 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 no one's ever heard of and stuff it's going to be difficult for the audience to relate to but dana carvey while he's on the way to the gig writes purposefully a few little throwaway jokes and they're not genius gems they're literally throwaways just so that when he's getting started he gets the audience attention he pulls them into the conversation and he engages with them and those are such important things uh in order to have a successful show. There's a lot of comics I, I listen to and watch that do that, you know, even on their, their specials or their albums or whatever. Those first few jokes are always about whatever city they're in. And, you know, I, I've never really thought about that till just now. And I just yeah. now thinking about it. It's the same when you, uh, a lot of the guys I know made a great living doing corporate humor. They got off the, the, the clubs cause they got tired of, you know, fighting the, the drunks and the people playing pool while you're trying to do comedy. So they went into corporate comedy where you have to be clean and you have to have good solid material, but they always research the company and they'll ask questions of the people booking them. And you know, who's the boss? What's he, what's he like? Is there anybody in the office? That's kind of the class clown, right? What do you, what do you do with this company? Explain it to me so that when they're on the way to that gig, they're writing material about that company and the people that work at the company. So as soon as he goes out, he says something like, uh, you know, I hear Bob's the class clown. Uh, you know, if he could only get his hair done, right, you know, and boom, the whole audience knows who that Bob guy is. And they're immediately engaged with the headliner. I hate to go on a whole tangent about this, but what do you think <laughs> <You're> about, gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, what do you, what do you think about comics who kind of, well, and, and this kind of goes back to the Chris Rock thing a little bit too, is roasting audience members a little bit, because I think when it comes to roasting, there's a, there's a, a level of consent that needs to be, you know, that needs to happen. So it it has to be agreed on ahead of time. Well, and I would have asked you guys as new comics, because I'm old school, is I feel it's extra hard for people like you in today's society, because I don't think comedy's changed all that much. The comedy Mm -hmm. I share on my podcast, uh, stand-up comedy, your host and MC, plug, plug, 
is from the 80s and 90s. And I think it still works. It's still funny yeah. because funny is funny. However, in this day and age, today, the audiences have changed. And you've got a certain people that are woke or afraid that somebody in the audience might be offended. And so you bring up a good point that in a roast, the reason the roast work is that the roastee knows what's coming. Right. Whereas if you get on stage and you're an insult comic like Don Rickles or mm -hmm. Bobby Slayton, back in the day, you could get away with it because people knew it was harmless comedy. Mm -hmm. But in today's society, people are so easily offended. They have such a thin skin that even if they're in a comedy club, they are sometimes overreacting to what, you know, comedy is meant to be comedy. And that means picking on sometimes jobs or situations or people or ourselves. So uh, I tell comics, young comics like you, that if you want to play around with insult comedy, make it self-deprecating because then there's the automatic approval because you allowing yourself to pick on yourself. Mm. I, I have a little bit of weight, a little bit of a belly, and I would go on stage and I always wore a Hawaiian shirt. And sometimes somebody say, Hey, you're fat or da, 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 da. And I just rub my belly and I go, well, first off, this is success. And second <laughs> off, I don't hide it. I decorate it, you know? So I I'm, taking something that's a heckle or something that's obvious, but it's about myself and turning it into a joke. And then people relax a little bit because they realize if you're willing to make fun of yourself, you're harmless. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. You're not just attacking the audience. Yeah. And I asked that because some of the best sets that I've had on the road have been from, you know, roasting an audience member who luckily was very into it. But that's a, a very, you know, risky scenario nowadays is if, if you pick the wrong audience member to mess with, then, you know, you could get the, the shit slapped out of you on live television. Well, I was an MC, So as a producer of my shows, I emceed my shows. So I ended up basically getting more stage time than anybody because I was on stage six nights a week, eight shows a week for 21 years. So I did a lot of audience participation. And what you learn is, that by talking to somebody in the audience, you can usually pick up, if, especially the more you do it, who's going along, who's there to have a good time, and who might be a little uptight. You know, if you, if you pick out some girl and you go, you know, uh, you know, hey, welcome to the show. Hope you're to have a good time. Uh, are the 10 cats you left at home doing okay? Somebody watching them, right? You're, you're, you know, you're presuming she's a cat girl. And if she's, you know, easily offended, you just move on to the next person. If she laughs and says, I don't have 10 cats and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's a frog and a goat. You know, it's something I mean, uh, you, you know, you can go on with it. One of my uh, old bits that I used to do all the time is it'd be some guy with a goofy sweater and I'd end up calling him sweater boy all through the show and nine times. Well, actually, really 10 times out of 10, the person kind of liked the attention Everybody knew it was kind of an ugly sweater, even him, and you could get away with it. It's a good callback, right? You could do it every time I went on stage as the MC. Hey, sweater boy, how's that third drink doing? You're doing all right? All right, good. Keep drinking. The more you drink, the better the show, right? So those kind of things work for you. However, my fear in this day of woke society is if I pick on sweater boy, 
There might be somebody on the other side of the room going, oh, well, that sweater was a gift. And somebody else goes, some sheep gave their all for that sweater, the wool. And somebody else goes, oh, but what would his mother say? You know, people are putting their personal uh, limits onto somebody else. And that Mm -hmm. concerns me. Yeah. That's honestly, I personally don't like doing crowd work. I mean, number one, I'm hearing impaired. I can only hear out of one ear, so I can't hear what anybody's saying anyway in a crowd. So (laughs) you think that's going to hurt me at some point? Because I do know there's a lot of promoters out there that like throwing comics to do crowd work. Well, I think it depends on the comic. I mean, I've worked with uh, literally thousands of comics, and there's some people that are really gifted uh, and working with an audience, Robin Williams is probably the most famous, but there's been many, many others. And there's people that just went up and wanted to do their set, do what they thought was funny and get off stage. And if, if there was any engagement with the audience or heckling, they just ignored it or, or you know, freaked out a little bit. Um, you know, uh, you just have to find your voice on stage, right? You want to be you. And if for Jacob, it means interacting with the audience and for Jason, it means not interacting with the audience that much, that's perfectly okay. You just finding your way to present what you think is funny. There's no, there's, you know, what's great about stand-up comedy. And again, this will sound a little like a soapbox, but it really is the last bastion of free speech. Oh yeah. Now I was making fun of people that swear and do a bunch of uh, uh, silly dick jokes on stage. You know what? That's their right. It's freedom of speech. Me as a producer who was trying to develop comics to go on to sitcoms and fame and fortune, my job was to try to keep people clean and keep humor clean. And cause I think it takes you farther. However, as a point of freedom of speech, anything and everything is all right. A great analogy of that You guys know Bob Saget from Full House and Fuller House. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like America's dad back in the 90s. -hmm. Well, on stage, he was the dirtiest comic ever. (laughs) He played guitar, did funny, you know, dirty limericks, uh, uh, loved a good poop and fart joke. But he wasn't just swearing. He was just doing material that was a little off color. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was adult material talking about sex or, or poop jokes or whatever. But he did it in an adult, funny way. He wasn't just dropping F-bombs. In fact, he rarely uh, uh, swore on stage. But he was filthy. And then he gets on. It was so funny because he did Full House. And for my club's 10th anniversary, I had Dave Collier and Bob Saget at my club. And Full House was already been out for a couple of years. And I can't tell you how many moms called up and said, I want to get tickets for my children to see the show. <laughs> like, no, you know, this is an adult club. You got to be 21. And there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love Bob Saget's comedy. Rest in peace to him for sure. Yeah, that was um, and Gary he was supposed Shandling, to do my, my favorites. Yeah. He was I'm supposed sorry. to do your podcast. Yeah. He was, we had talked about uh, him going on my podcast, but he was very busy with his own mm-hmm. podcast and he was on tour when he passed away. So it was uh, quite a shock when that happened because uh, a great talent, a great guy always, Mm -hmm. uh, he was instrumental in helping me start my club and taught me how to treat comics, what to pay comics and what was expected of an audience. In fact, a quick side story in 1982, um, I shot my first TV commercials 
and Bob Saget acted in it and helped write and direct them. And he just did it for fun. He didn't charge me any money. Um, mm-hmm. In one of them, he throws me off a building. And in the other one, he hit me with a car. And uh, they, they came out great. You can see both those commercials on my website uh, and on my video uh, membership site. Uh, or I can send you copies, guys. But uh, um, the point is, is that he was a real giving guy, big hearted guy that whether he was dirty doing stand-up comedy or Mr. Clean is, is the, the dad in full house. Uh, he always, uh, was thoughtful of the audience and, and, and would get a laugh no matter what. Oh, another quick side story. If you don't mind, it's early now it's, uh, uh late 1980, uh, Bob Sagan, Dave Couillet again, but this is, you know, not, you know, not 10 year anniversary. This is like the first year and I'm sitting with him after a show and they're laughing and I'm, and we're having drinks and I'm like, obviously I'm the third wheel because they're making each other laugh. And I finally, I'm the boss. I go, Hey, what the, uh, what the frick, what, what's so funny. And Bob pulls up this, uh, piece of paper and wrapped inside with some table lint and a little note saying, Bob, this is some of my pubic hair just for you. (laughs) And it was just Dave and Bob making each other laugh. Right. When you're in comedy, it's kind of the stuff that's over the top that makes you really laugh, right? Mm-hmm. So these guys were uh, sharing pubic hair uh, in private <laughs> notes and, and cracking themselves up. It's it was a fun moment. That's awesome. That's but I do beautiful. I do want to say Gary Shandling is uh, definitely one of my all time favorite too. And um, if you've never heard it, go back and listen. He had one of the greatest theme songs of any. Uh, of the comedians that got TV shows, the Gary Shandling show, go back in, on on YouTube and listen to that that theme song if you've never heard it because it's, it's literally Gary Shandling show. Yeah. It's going to see Gary, Gary yeah, called me hilarious. up and asked me to write a theme song. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> like it's it's so stupid and awesome at the same time. Yeah, maybe we should consider it early rap. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I don't want to uh, make you guys jealous, but I actually have a picture of Gary Shandling in a dress. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> so why, why? perchance, does that exist? <laughs> so uh, my club, Laughs Unlimited, was in a tourist area of Sacramento called Old Sac, and it's based on the eight, all the buildings are from the 1800s. There's cobblestone streets and wooden sidewalks, and about two blocks away from my club was one of those old picture places where families could go in and dress up in 1800s garb. (laughs) Well, unbeknownst to me, Gary went in, got decked out in a big hoop dress and a, and a nice Sunday uh, hat and had a picture taken, had it and autographed it to me and gave it to me as a gift. And I was just, you know, he wasn't, you know, Gary Shandling at the time. He was just a friend. Um, But uh, he wasn't famous is my point. And I just thought this was such a terrific gift. I put it up on the wall with all the eight by tens of everybody that worked the club. Well, not two weeks later, Bob Saget came through as a headliner and Bob did not want to be outdone. So he went over to this photo place and he did a full on 1800 school marm look with the little <laughs> white gloves, little fan and, and, and uh, had it autographed to me as well. And I had those two pictures side by side up on my wall for over 10 years. It was uh, awesome. So cool that they thought so much. I mean, I think they did it, you know, Gary just did it as a gag and Bob did it to kind of try to outdo or match Gary. 
but for me to get those as a gift was a real honor and uh, uh, really fun to share. Two things about that. Um, old sack is actually what we call Jason. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to judge. <laughs> and if you want a signed picture of me in a dress, all you have to do is ask because they exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's great. And uh, I will keep that in mind. And uh, uh, next time I'm looking for that perfect gift, Jacob, <laughs> I'm going to reach out to you. It's a good stocking stuffer. It <laughs> really is. Well, Mr. Edwards, well, thank you so very much. I know we're, we're, we're getting to the end of our time here. And uh, we've learned so much with you being here. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, Tell everybody where they can find your stuff at. Well, I want to say thanks to you guys. It's great to, to be on with two uh, stand-up comics that are doing something and getting their voice out there with a podcast. So for you and your audience, my podcast is called Stand-Up Comedy. You're hosted MC. It's available on all uh, directories, and it's all about either live performance from my TV series or my concerts or my stage shows. Uh, also interviews with a lot of comics, famous and not so famous. And then my website, uh, Scott's Comedy, uh, I'm sorry, Stand Up Comedy Hosting MC dot uh, com has the a uh, uh, lot of information and pictures and links to the podcast. But I have a second uh, website, Scott's Comedy Stuff dot com, and that will find you the online comedy course and the membership site that Jason was talking about. Be sure to check it all out, but don't forget ladies and gentlemen and listeners to this podcast, shoot me an email at Scott's comedy stuff at gmail.com. If you're interested in a free electronic copy of my latest book, 20 questions answered about being a stand-up comic or go to Amazon and body. Fantastic. Yeah, I will definitely email you to get that book. And I suggest that all of our listeners do as well. We'll go ahead and put that uh, email in the bio as well, Jason, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, so, Jacob, you got anything you want to throw out there before we leave this evening? I do. I want to go ahead and start promoting for my headlining set April 16th. <laughs> yes! April 16th at Jack's by the Tracks in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I'm going to be doing a hot 30 minutes. and. Um, some of it will be good. <laughs> Wait a minute. We just talked about confidence, Jacob. Confidence. <laughs> you got to leave them wanting more, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I will be at the same spot, Jack's by the Tracks, on the 23rd. So come come out and check us both out. And uh, so that's what we got coming up this next month. And uh, thank you again for coming on the show, Mr. Edwards. And if you would like to follow us, we are at Open Micers on Twitter and Instagram. OpenMicros.com takes you straight to our Patreon where as little as a dollar a month gets you all the extra episodes and everything before everybody else. And send us an email. OpenMicrosPodcast at gmail.com. And we love you guys and we'll see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.